Welcome to another episode of the Beers League Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Raman. On the podcast today, we have Dr. Megan Rides at the Door. Welcome, Megan. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, excited for this conversation. Uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge that I'm producing this podcast on the lands of the Comox, Clayhus, Homoko, and Kalam and First Nations, who were one nation before we uh, white settlers came in and separated them into reserves. Um, in particular, I kind of want to acknowledge uh, the, the, the First Nations Health Authority uh, and the First Nations Emergency Management Society and all the indigenous firefighters out there on the front line, especially groups like the Adams Lake Indian Band who are in the depths of the Adams Lake fire right now. And it's it's just absolutely insane. Um, and I was talking to Megan before we kind of hit record. I'm hoping we could touch on this a bit because Megan's specialty is trauma. Uh, and the First Nations Health Authority, which uh, some of my listeners will be familiar with, I've mentioned them a few times in the past. Um, I'm actually hoping to have. Uh, I keep I keep meaning to invite a friend of mine who's who's uh, who's uh, high up in there on the podcast, so that that's going to happen soon. This is a prompt for me, but something in particular I, I liked that they 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 put out a a a a, a fact sheet on, on kind of trauma during disasters, which I hope we, that Megan and I can touch on today. But one thing in particular, I've been sharing a lot, so folks know that when I'm not wearing my podcast hat, I'm the assistant chief for our local fire department, and I'm often sharing on you know talking about sort of fire related things. And lately, I've been sharing a lot on social media around uh, developing emergency kits and evacuation kits and kind of how to plan for that because people are getting you know told to told to leave almost immediately we heard some of the fires were literally at their door when the uh, fire department was coming to evacuate them and so it's really important to have these kits planned ahead but it reminded me of sort of colonization and kind of how it how it plays a role in sort of everything we do in North America, including how we design our emergency kits. Um, uh, and in particular, not so much. I don't think there's things in the emergency kit that are especially colonizing per se, but there's things that are missing from the emergency kits that are kind of that that, that sort of speak to that colonization. And one thing that this particular handout talks about um, um, is is the importance of uh, of uh, when you're when you're setting up your emergency kits um, that you include um, uh, tr traditional foods, herbs, medicines, that sort of thing in your emergency kit, because those are often things, because often when a, when a, when a fire happens, it sort of wipes out, literally wipes out your homeland. Um, uh, these, these are often the only connections you kind of have to the land and to the people and whatnot. And so uh, something I'll be, uh, the, the moment this podcast ends, I'm going to be updating my uh, uh, evacuation uh, uh, um, uh, kit uh, posts and information to uh, include traditional foods and medicines because I think that's really important. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll kind of get into some of that present day stuff soon here. Before we get started, um, Megan, I'm, I'm, I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself, kind of kind of who you are, um, kind of how you identify and and uh, and how you kind of got into doing the work you're doing now. Yeah, thanks. So I'm Megan, rides at the door. I serve as the director of the National Native Children's Trauma Center at the University of Montana and have been doing so since about 2015. My background is in mental health counseling, and I'm an enrolled member of the Fort Peck, Dakota and Nakota tribes or Sioux and Assiniboine tribes in northeastern Montana and a descendant of the absentee Shawnee tribe in Oklahoma. Uh, I carry a Blackfeet last name through marriage, right at the door, but that's mm. uh, a little bit about myself. Right. Can you tell me, I read, I read, I read that in your bio. Can you tell me a little bit more about what the, that absentee piece means? 
Yeah, absentee Shawnee. That's a common question people ask sometimes because there are Shawnee tribes. There's Eastern Shawnee and Shawnee tribe and absentee Shawnee tribe mm. down here in the lower 48. And um, we are absentee Shawnee because we were absent in signing a specific treaty. And that is how we kind of separated from some of the, the other Shawnee tribe that we were with at the time. And so um, they call us absentee for that reason. And so, you know, I'm certain I could dig into this more on my own, but were you, were you, were you absent by choice? Yes, we, we um, did not want to actively did not want to sign the treaty. Gotcha. Yeah. And so that, and then, and so that sort of, yeah, for Oklahoma. Gotcha. Okay. And, and just because it just wasn't, wasn't what you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotcha. But yeah. but a lot of folks did sign it, is what you're saying? Well, some did, yes. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's different um, different gr- groups of Shawnee peoples. Mm. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. And so your folks are just the absentee group. Is is and, and, and I'm I'm already tangenting in here a bit as I tend to do, but I don't know a lot about treaties. I mean, I know, I know, I know a bit about sort of the local First Nation here, which is the Tlaman First Nation, um, um, uh, which uh, was one of the first. They signed a treaty, I think, just in the last 10 years that was rather big in the sense of it being sort of um, maybe they were like the First Nation to really. For the first time have its own self self-forming government and that sort of thing and kind of um you know actually separated from I'm, I'm butchering this i'm gonna have to look it up and and, and read about it in more detail but but it, it seems like there's there there the, the treaties are all about seem to be all about kind of uh um things that were taken away um, or, or, or people or, or places, you know, folks are removed from. And I, I, I imagine from the, you know, indigenous communities, the goal is to, you know, get it back. Um, and, uh, you know, and this is where a lot of the, the land back conversations are related to and whatnot. Um, is it, is it, is it, is it basically, is, is, is it the hope that all, all communities eventually would have a treaty that worked for them or are some, do, do some folks maybe just not ever want a treaty because, you know, they just don't believe it. They, they should even have to have a treaty in the first place and so on and so forth. Like, like, how does that all, how does that work? Yeah. Everyone wants to have control of their life, to make their own choices, decisions, and set goals that are meaningful and important to them. And students who are neurodivergent are no exception. Self-determined research indicates a host of positive quality of life outcomes for people who are neurodivergent, including better employment and independent living outcomes. Whether your students want to attend college or obtain employment after high school, They will need to acquire the skills necessary to pursue career life directions that are personally meaningful and are of their own volition. The self-determination course offered by CBI is an ideal tool for teachers to help students develop the essential competencies for self-determined behavior. The course consists of five modules with comprehensive lesson plans that include embedded resources easily adapted for your diverse learners. 
Using the built-in self-reflection and assessment exercises, teachers can assess students' growth towards their self-determination and self-advocacy behaviors. If you're interested in learning more, check out the CBI Consultants webpage at www.cbiconsultants.com. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is treaty. Well, treaty making was the primary documentation process by which the United States government has recognized tribes. Mm. And in order to get recognized as a federally recognized tribe, a lot of the time they went back to these treaties that established them as mm. a tribal group of people. Right. And that's why it's been harder for some groups who haven't entered into treaty making or do not have any kind of documentation mm. from that earlier period. Mm. It's been harder for them to establish themselves as a tribe historically. And that's why we have a lot of state recognized tribes and not right. federally recognized tribes. I see. Um, and a lot of the treaties are about, you know, securing the health, well-being, education, uh, hunting, fishing, land rights. You yes. know, there's a lot un underneath that. And a lot of acts that have been passed that secure those rights, um, you know, for a lot of tribes, you mm. know. And I think that what people fail to recognize when people talk about treaties is that it's not giving us anything. You know, a lot of people think, oh, we get these things. We get mm. free health care. Right. Like it's given to us. but in essence, it protects all, our already inherent rights yes. that we have had. Um, and it just validates that these were in existence already and that, mm. uh, that you know, it's the government's responsibility to, you know, have, have these things and maintain these things for us. Yeah. They're still not upheld to right. you know the level that they should be, but um, you know it's it's what's established mm. long long history of how the federal government provides even behavioral health things like behavioral health services and other types of things in the communities. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting that that that. It's the folks that have that signed treaties way back when, you know, that that have an easier time with all this stuff. And yet it's likely, I'm guessing, I'm assuming that the treaties that were signed way back when probably gave a lot less back. <laughs> you know, because those were those were early, you know, you want to be recognized as someone that exists. Well, you can be, but only on these terms. Um, and and so I imagine a lot of the folks that refuse to sign those treaties are like, well, that's BS. I mean, that's <laughs> that's you know, that 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 that's your own colonial perspective. That's not really, you know, like you said, these are in inherent rights and we want to and we want, you know, those need to be acknowledged. So it's it seems it seems like a a wacky paradox that uh, it's the folks that stood their ground that are now suffering the most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as time went on, I think 
you know, I think it's, there has been, I mean, that period of time went on for quite a while and, you know, there still continues to be some different arrangements with the government, depending on the community. You know, we are in an era of self-determination right now. And so Mm. a lot of groups are taking back the provision of services through 638 contracts or compacts. And so I think we've seen a wave, especially in behavioral health, Mm. uh, since that we're talking about that today. Yeah. Um, There are now more tribes who are operating behavioral health programs rather than the Indian Health Service um, through these compacts and contracts. And so it's evident that when tribes have the capacity to govern themselves and, you know, be able to, you know, provide that the services they, they want to provide, they, that they will. Yeah. You know, that makes a lot of sense. So, so how did you kind of get into this field in the first place? What, what, what kind of brought you to, to mental health and eventually trauma and eventually working in this, in this cool role? Yeah, I feel like it's been a really natural progression of things, mm. really. You know, I've been interested in, you know, why things happen the way that they do, why people do the things that they do, how mm. why are things this way, and kind of naturally lends itself to psychology and mm. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but over time realized that, you know, I was really interested in counseling, but then I don't know if it's because I have a collectivistic mindset, but <laughs> I feel like mm. I it's hard to not think about, you know, community-wide impacts and, you know, the behavioral health of the community as a whole as opposed to just an individual person. And I feel like, you know, trauma has been a conversation that's been a a foundational part of the conversation for a long, long while now. Mm. Yeah. That showed a couple things there that, that remind me of, I I was talking to, uh, well, you talk first, the collectivistic piece, um, and sort of, you know, that kind of community focus. I'm curious when you could, so you're, what's your, what's your training? So what's your background, your education? So I did my undergrad in psychology mm-hmm. and then I did my master of arts degree in clinical mental health counseling. And then my PhD is in counselor education and supervision. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So I'm a licensed, what we call is a, and different states call it different things. Yes, I noticed in, this. In the state of Montana, I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor. Right. Okay. Gotcha. LCPC. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I'm curious, sort of, what it was like, sort of, doing your training, you know. Because so, I, I had this, I had a conversation with um, Mark Standigle Bias, who's coming on the on the show. He's the current, he's just current president of the Society of Indian Psychologists, or just elected, I think, president elect, and um, um, and he's doing some some cool stuff. Um, 
around uh, uh, culturally based so, emotion, social emotional learning and this uh, sort of the sweet grass method thing that he's doing, which is really neat, which we're going to kind of dig into. But one thing he was telling me about was talking about was sort of how, you know, I'm trying to articulate this right, but basically how how all all psychology training is is, is westernized, colonialized, you know, um, you know, and so it doesn't really take into consideration sort of some of the things you're 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 doing. I'm curious just what it was like for you um, doing your training, um, you know, and and sort of kind of how that sort of was reconciled with some of these traditions and, and beliefs and sort of ways of being that you and you know and people in your community have had for for eons um you know was it hard or did did you know was was there space for conversation on those sorts of things did you have like extra training or did you luck out were you one of the lucky few that was actually able to get a sort of indigenous focus in your training like what did it all look like for you yeah, for myself, we didn't really have anybody who was Indigenous in our particular program, mm. although we do have some Indigenous professors at our university. And so I I do feel like I was exposed to some other lines of thinking, you mm. know. And I, and I think I'm fortunate, fortunate to be in a program that has already started talking about a lot of different kinds of ways of looking at evidence and, you know, really being open to thinking about all the different ways of healing. Mm. So our program really didn't ascribe to a specific theory or, you know, a theoretical mm. foundation that some programs do and really allowed people to come to their own conclusions about what kind of theoretical orientations they wanted to ascribe to as they explored the various ones. But it is, you know, challenging when we don't really have too many theoretical foundations that are Indigenous based. Mm. And I think, you know, it, it always brings up a question, you know, when we think about really being mindful as you're, you're, you know, you brought, you brought this up and it's like, okay, are we colonizing through even the way we are providing services, knowing that this is Western, a mm. Western formulated, you know, derived service, right? You know, is it, is it appropriate to, it can you heal historical trauma? Can you talk about in with indigenous people? Can you process historical trauma and its impacts in this setting, in this Western direction? You know, exactly. Western, yeah. You know, it's kind of ironic and in a way, you know, it's, yeah. is it re-traumatizing potentially? Yeah. yeah. But even in and of itself. So it's it. And for me, I think I've reconciled that saying that, you know, the ultimate purpose of counseling ther therapy is to provide a safe space. Um, and so in the context of, you know, defining what a safe space is, hopefully it's collective, mm. you know, 
it's collaboratively built what we mean by creating a safe space with indigenous communities or with our whoever we're serving. You know, if we agree on kind of that we're we are able to create this together during our time together, then potentially it could be a place to start processing these things. And even if, you know, I think just validating it, I feel like a lot of in therapy, a lot of therapists don't acknowledge historical trauma or intergenerational trauma at all. And so ignoring it is also re-traumatizing. So even validating that experience is healing in and of itself. And so, you know, but I think it is, so, you know, you have to kind of see, see what can be done in that space. If there's, if there's an opening to provide that continued healing, why not? Yeah, no, really good points. Cause it made, made me think about, so sort of trying to articulate a question around so i think for folks like me um you know i think i think a lot of you know folks who are kind of you know non-indigenous that 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 are looking at this stuff and 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 looking at indigenous communities we're, we're just it's just so surface i think what the general population is starting to understand like like i, I you know i think for me and i'm really i'm talking from you know my own my own learning, I guess, but um, it does seem to be somewhat representative of other folks that, that other colleagues of mine in that, and kind of the reason I kind of got into doing this work and doing this podcast, it all kind of flowed out of two kind of big traumatic events in um, in the Black and Indigenous communities. First, it was the George Floyd murder uh, in, in 2020. And then in 2021, it was the uncovering of the 215 graves in Kamloops um, at the Kamloops Residential School. And those two sort of events in, you know, in, in combination with the pandemic um, really, I think, woke a lot of folks up um, in, in terms of kind of what the history of our world's been in terms of colonization. And there's all this new jargon and all these new terms we're all using all the time now, like colonization and decolonization and indigenizing and so on and um but i think it's still so surface i think there's a lot of folks now that acknowledge there was there was intergenerational trauma Uh, some acknowledge that it was actually genocide um um, um, but beyond that, you know, and again, I'm not in sort of the counseling circles, and I'm sure I, I hope there's sort of deeper conversations in there. But beyond that, you know, I think a lot of us, me, me included, you know, don't really even know what that means. Um, you know, I think we under, I think we understand on some level. I had a, we had a, I, I was when I, was, I remember I was working at a high school, a local high school in, in the Tulama Nation, um, and uh, fortunately, they had a really great relationship with the local First Nation and. Uh, and so this high school did a lot of good education. They had a great Indigenous student center, and um, and they brought this guy in to do um, uh, kind of a a very immersive workshop on re- on the residential school experience for step for for the uh, sort of frontline staff. Um, and um, and and it did a great job of. I, I can't articulate what he did exactly. I'll I'll, I'll share the name in the show notes. But he he, he did this sort of role play activity which sort of gave you just a taste 
of what it might be like to be traumatized um, in as as a as an indigenous member of the community. And so talking about sort of talked about kind of how uh, you know kids were removed um, and and taken to these school these these concentration camps. Um, and and parents, father, often fathers would try to go retrieve their children from these places, but then the system worked so that if you keep trying, you're going to lose your job, and then you won't be able to provide for your family, or we'll stop giving you this and that. You need to leave those kids there, and really put these parents in 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 a predicament where they knew their children were being harmed over here, but they knew everyone would be harmed if they try to do anything about it essentially i think it's sort of the the message that he was trying to get there uh and then and then you know when these children and i'll, I'll definitely have a trigger warning in this podcast when that when these children um were removed and some never came home again you know then there was the longer term trauma of uh, of you know literally generations of families being erased from the lineage um as well as sort of all of the you know sort of trauma that affected those 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 families and it's kind of all over the place um um how does that sort of well first off is that accurate (laughs) and uh and then and then how does that kind of show up in in kind of your work today um, particularly in, in, in the context of the, the National Native Children's Trauma Center. Like, I, I hear you about acknowledging the trauma exists, but what else can we be doing here? Yeah, it almost sounds like you're you're saying, you know, how does this continue to affect us today? Yeah. Yeah. And there's many ways that it impacts services that are provided today you know and i think you know it's not just validating that this experience has occurred but mm. this history continues to be oppressed and yes. if you think about you know there are a lot of historical events that the narrative around those is never forget Yet the narrative around Indigenous histories is forget about it, move on. Yes. And this causes a lot of, you know, unresolved grief, a lot of, and continued experiences Mm. from what's been happening. So it, it has continued since then. And has resulted in mistrust of communities, of service systems. Anytime anyone steps in to help, communities have to assess the trustworthiness of that entity or those people. And, you know, for protective reasons, you Mm. know, first over you know, really trusting someone to come in and help. Yeah. Um, and for how long and what's the intention here? And is this really going to benefit us? How are you going to help? Right. It's 
a whole assessment of who 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 are we allowing to help us and why and through through their through this tribal sovereignty of tribes knowing that they can you know refuse to work with some people or some entities that are coming in well and i know that you know mark was telling me that there's you know something like two or three hundred indigenous psychologists period um you know and that's across fields so that you know clinical social school and, and so on um you know and, and and i'm not sure what the percentage is but i know just from i had dr evan august on talking about sort of history of black psychology and, and i think it was something like four four percent of psychologists are black but there's about three thousand of them so do the math and you know, we're looking at, you know, less than half a percent of psychologists, um, you know, identify as Indigenous. So clearly, and, and you know, and, and I don't know if that takes into account counselors as well, but uh, I actually, I think it probably, I think the counselors just have a similar, because I had a couple of counselors on, they were telling me that the, the number of Black counselors was, again, around 4%. So I imagine the Indigenous counselors is similar. So point being, there's, there's not, a, there's, there, there's, there's definitely not enough, you know, Indigenous professionals to work with these indigenous communities. Um, and so quite often, you know, it's going to be a non-indigenous uh, um, uh, professional. And I know there's conversation about sort of different levels of things you can do to sort of be kind of culturally responsive. One thing is ideally having someone that looks like them. Uh, if if it's in a school setting, often it's someone that looks like them and maybe identifies as male or female. If they do, it can often be helpful. But you can never, but but you're just so far from from having those 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 options, and so it's often going to be sort of this, um, you know, this this non-indigenous individual, and and so do, do these folks, you know, and this is maybe a bit, a bit of a flippant way to say it, but but these folks have any any hope of being able to provide support for for especially for these children? Yeah, well, I think well, it's individual preference but some people would are open to seeing somebody not from the community for mm. even more confidentiality is mm. that they feel like that they are more protected to be able to say whatever they want to say and reveal information oh, sure. yeah. and so i i think it's you know we have a lack of mental health services you know regardless yeah. of who it are but yeah as you say we do have limited numbers of indigenous mental health people. And even if we did increase mental health in our communities, you know, we still can't rely upon, even if we increased it by 20 therapists, right. we, I see, you know, you still can't rely on, you know, 10, 20 therapists to heal a whole community. And mm -hmm. I think that's when you, you know that they can certainly be part of the effort towards healing but it's not the the only mechanism toward healing mm. you know healing can happen in a lot of different ways and it doesn't always have to just be mental health mm, true you know and that's really thinking about all all of these other things that we can be doing 
as a community. I think we tend to in communities or we get, you know, kind of siloed like, oh, that's that program that does that mm. in our community. But when people, when we start thinking prevention and we're really scaling up what we're doing, we think about what can each one of us do? As a community member, what can we be doing? Mm. Um, and that's going to wax and wane over time, but it's, it is, you know, you know, really everyone working together, yeah. kind of starting to mobilize around it a little bit more as opposed to, oh, this is, you know, we have five therapists. Right. Um, and that's, that's what we've seen in the trauma field is, you know, it's the ideal kind of trajectory that they've kind of set up is, Let's do a trauma screening and, you know, identify people early and then then we'll send them to a therapist for assessment and they'll assess um, further into trauma history and severity of symptoms. And then we'll refer to a therapist who's trained in an evidence based trauma Mm. treatment Mm. to treat this person. And in very rural indigenous communities, that it's a different conversation because you're, you still have the same, you know, you don't have more of people, right? you know, it's like, what, what's the purpose of screening? You know, your screening isn't to identify here. Um, You know, it's, it's a different conversation of of how we provide healing not discounting i feel like when i say this i always say you know we're not discounting evidence that has already you know we know mm. that things are effective mm-hmm. and we wouldn't want to you know say that we shouldn't we should con- still continue to try to increase access to therapists to um to evidence-based trauma treatments to um but but expanding access to everything that's healing not just that but really thinking of across the board about yeah. everything because people will have different preferences and what they what they want um to incorporate into their healing journeys in their life how you know how much they want to utilize them western-based therapy or traditional healing or what it may be but you know our job is to increase access to all of this so that it's available yeah yeah you know and and touch on a few things there that were and kind of i started thinking the the questions i just i just i've just asked you in the last sort of five minutes you know really come from a, a western colonial perspective like i i'm expecting you know counseling psychology to be able to address intergenerational trauma in in you know in these communities but it's it's you know it was it was a westernized philosophy and ideology that caused this trauma in the first place um and and now we're going to use westernized you know ideologies and philosophies to try to, to, to to try to fix it 
your point about sort of and, and the idea that it being evidence based to and is it even really evidence based because we know that most of the uh, most of the research in psychology over the last fifty years, um, cert I, I, I would guess probably almost none of it had indigenous participants. You know, uh, and if it did, it was probably like the research in it was probably like the research that involved the black participants, where all the research that involved black participants was about identifying the problem. And all the research that involved white participants was about solving the problem. So outcomes research was mostly for white folks. Problem research was for non-white folks. Was kind of kind of the way they did things. And of course, some of the super sketchy experimental research, literally on indigenous folks in these residential schools that was happening. Uh, we know there was a lot of that occurring as well. Um, so, you know. Is there even such a thing as sort of evidence-based practice for addressing tr intergenerational trauma in indigenous communities? Mm -hmm. Depends on how you define evidence. Mm -hmm. so we could say that we do have evidence that traditional healing practices are effective. You know, yes. why why would we continue to practice it for generations, for thousands of years if it wasn't effective, right? right? It's like logical. pretty replicable. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of you know. Of course, we use these things. You know, it's who who gets, but it's who gets to define evidence and how mm -hmm. we define evidence mm -hmm. and how we define what success looks like. You know, even communities might not say that symptom reduction is that total evidence. You know. Right. Is that how, but how, maybe it might reduce these specific symptoms, but does that help create well being and yeah. support, you know, cultural identity or other, you know, who, you know, what is a healthy Indigenous member of our community and how would we define that? And yeah. When we do something, what does how do we want to identify success? So it's a it's a conversation of you know expanding kind of our our mm. lines of thinking around it. And there has been some kind of shifts as we've seen, you know, people were really quick to have lists of evidence-based practices and treatments there, yeah. you know. And then kind of took a step back and we're taking these lists down because it was like evidence-based for who, for yes. in what setting and for yes. what issue. And um, you start looking more critically about this. And I've been fortunate in my program um, where there have been conversations about um, expanding evidence to not just look at the treatment, you know, because that's only one picture. This right. It's like, that's what you do, but how you do it. It's like, what makes one therapist more effective evidence-based mm. than another therapist? What are those facts? That's a whole other part of mm. 
the heal, you know, of a healing process. It's like who, who's doing it. And then the setting in which we're providing, you know, it's like all of the different factors that go into um, creating a healing experience. Just looking at the treatment alone, it's pretty limited, you know, take into account all these other factors. It's hard to do in a, randomized control trial you know and i think that's 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 brought its challenges to be able to even attempt to do something like that and and some people don't even want to go down that road no um so well and it's interesting because the whole sort of you know, definition of evidence-based practice. I mean, it it is the sort of change from sort of field to field somewhat, but one of the sort of, you know, standard pieces across most fields is publishing in peer-reviewed journals, right? And, you know, you talk about sort of 10,000 years of, or more of, of traditional community practice uh, and ceremonial practice and, 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 and how that has, you know, maintained the health of folks quite well for, you know, for thousands of years. Um, but, but I don't see that in a journal anywhere. So it's not legit. It's sort of, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of colonial message. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, even the idea that sort of, it's got to be therapy. It's got to be, you know, these modalities that we just expect. Because they don't even work all that well all the time for, you know, non-Indigenous problems either, right? I mean, you know, I mean, other folks have trauma too, and we're not necessarily that great at dealing with their trauma either. Um, and so it's not just a, sort of an, an Indigenous question, but it makes me think about... Um, I, had a, I had a fellow on the podcast... A while back, a guy named Grant Bruno, and he's a uh, he's uh, he's Cree, and he's lives up in Muscatchies, which is kind of an area near, I think, near Edmonton, Alberta, and uh, um, and uh, he he's uh, doing he's working on his PhD at I think at University of Alberta in in kind of health in medical medical sciences, um, and he's in and his his work is on autism in indigenous communities. Um, and he's got an autistic son. I think he maybe has two autistic sons, but one for sure. Um, and there's a great, a great film, which I, I don't have the title. I'll link it in the show notes, show notes, and I'll, I'll send you a link to it as well. Uh, that he, that he, a documentary film. So 20 minutes long, they did of his son uh, participating in some traditional ceremonies and whatnot, and kind of how he adapted those. And he actually just shared on his Facebook the other day, uh, uh, folks who work in the autism space will be familiar with sensory rooms and those sorts of things. And so he's, he's been setting up a sensory teepee um, up in, up in Muscogee's for, for the autistic kids, which is really cool. But one of the things he's doing in his research that, that he, he kind of taught me about, he was, he was really one of the first people to teach me about um, um, the kind of community participatory approach and research um, and kind of how he's applying that and his work in that, all of all of the work he's all of the studies he's doing now and all the research he's doing are is in collaboration with and informed by these um these indigenous community circles 
of, of local community members, elders, whatnot, represent, representatives. I think there's, you know, quite a few parents of autistic children that are in these as well. Um, and uh, and it's just it just it's it's taken the country by storm. He's he's really he's really doing a great job disseminating and and, and sharing how this this work and and one thing he really talks about and I think and I think you kind of touch on it in not touch on it, I think you dive deep into it in 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 the research articles you share with me, particularly the ones around the ACES, is is that Western sort of Western approaches always take this, uh, he called it a, 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 a deficit discourse uh, and that everything was focused on deficits. And so um, uh, we're, we're looking at this right now. I work in kind of uh, um, in, in the kind of behavior support kind of field. And, and often we're always looking at challenging behaviors. We want to know what the problem behaviors are and what the you know, what are they breaking? Who are they hitting? You know, that sort of thing. And uh, uh, we've recently actually shifted over to a new model uh, for in positive behavior support called Prevent, Teach, Reinforce, which one aspect that we really like about it is it's focused on what are the positive behaviors you're looking for? What are you trying to see? What are you trying to increase? Not what are you trying to decrease? Uh, because Typically, if you're able to increase the positives, they will sort of, you know, push away the negatives in a way. And uh, you don't have to kind of focus on those things. And I think that's that's just such a game changer for, I think, for all of these helping fields. Um, can you can you talk a bit about that, about kind of how deficit-based thinking kind of does, seems to dominate a lot of our approaches and, and how... So some of the work you're doing and I think other sort of folks in sort of indigenous helping fields are looking at kind of getting away from that deficit sort of discourse. There is a lack of diversity when it comes to educational material depicting black children in the field of applied behavior analysis. Human expressions gives black and brown children realistic and detailed images of kids who look like them modeling everyday skills that may be difficult for them to communicate or express. At Human Expressions, the benefits of representation for black and brown kids in educational curricula are clear. Increased self-esteem, reducing stereotypes, and increased validation and support. To learn more, go to www.humanexpressions.org. That's human, H-U-E-M-A-N, expressions.org. The second secret word is savior. Yeah, I think, you know, that can be, there's been some dialogues in the trauma field about how we use terms, we're using terms trauma-informed care or yeah. more responsive care, and it's heavily trauma-focused as opposed to healing-focused, Yeah, even in the language that we're using, and those with lived experience have been talking about, you know, that they're tired of being called resilient and, right. you know, but, and they're not just their trauma. And so mm. people have started to use terms like healing centered engagement, um, you know, kind of recognizing that shift that you're talking about, you know, looking at more of the strengths or, you know, the healing parts of the healing, healing can happen. and really focusing on 
what what does that mean? Um, there's some inherent healing that people have, you know, there's some existing knowledge that we have. And mm. I think that's true. I think we get to that. You you started talking about, you know, community-based participatory research, which, yeah. you know, kind of has lended itself to tribally driven research and kind of at the root of the the question is, you know, letting tribes decide, you know, you think underneath all everything that we've been talking about here today is tribes haven't had the decision-making power mm. to decide how healing happens in their community. That's dictated by outside external funding sources or other entities. Um, and we haven't reimagined or envisioned or had time, space, you know, mm. capacity, resources to reimagine what what do we want this to look like for our community and work towards creating that without, you know, without adapting or, you know, without, you know, it's like, what do we want? What are, what are things that we want to be doing? What do we want to be promoting? And I think that for our, for our work, we've been really open to, you know, thinking about, you know, tribes may want to incorporate some evidence-based thing, you know, they might want to adapt this or that, or they might want to utilize their own traditional healing in this or some combination. And I think what rests at the bottom is as a foundational thing is that they're, they're the ones deciding, not anyone else that Mm -hmm. they, that they get to be at the core and exercise their tribal sovereignty to be in this position to have ownership over this process more so than they have Mm -hmm. been. You know, and I think there's a lot of things that get into the way of them being able to get into that space, you know, but, you know, that's kind of where we see, see that a lot of things can build from Mm. ways. What, what, what could, what, what does that look like for a, for a practitioner as far as, so if I'm. You know, if I, you know, you know, have a case, I guess, where I'm, um, you know, I'm supporting a in in some way an indigenous child who's, you know, maybe having struggles in foster care, which is a common thing, and and uh, you know, which is, you know, obviously a, a whole problem in and of itself. Um, and and I want to, you know, I want to st- try try to, you know, provide some support for for the child and for the for their family. Um, and because this is something I've been hearing over and over again, is that you know, if you could include that the community, you know, or the, the tribe or the First Nation or or sort of whatever sort of label you kind of put on 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 those indigenous land uh, people peoples, um, that you know you're gonna you're gonna you're probably gonna have more success and you're probably gonna have, you know, sort of more 
you're, you're going to be able to kind of build capacity within that community to then, you know, continue to do the work themselves to sort of, you know, because so, last thing we need is to have professionals in people's lives their entire life. Um, you know, that's well, we, we put these kids in the system and then they're there for the rest of their lives. And, and the system is, is often what eats them up. Um, and so if if it can be the the local communities that are, 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 are you know, addressing those behavioral health needs, as you talked about, that's going to be a much better approach. So what kind of, is it, is it, is it, as, is it as simple as sort of, you know, and this is just me using parallels from my own work. So I, I think about when I work in a school, you know, typically I work in the family home, but sometimes the family asks if I can, you know, help with the school as well. Well, the school does, didn't hire me, the school, I don't work for the school and the school, you know, doesn't know who I am. And so generally the approach is, is that we start by, you know, uh, well, first we start by getting the family to sort of say, it's okay for this person to come into the school. Next, we usually we meet with the principal of the school or whoever's sort of highest up in administration and let them know who we are, why we're this random body walking around their school um, and, you know, and talk about our services and whatnot and hopefully get some buy-in there and then the teacher and so on and and uh, kind of try to build those relationships until we, you know, are seen of some value to school staff. Um, um, I'm learning more about school psychologists now and the importance of collaborating with them. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have an indigenous school psychologist, you definitely want to collaborate with them. Um, um, if not, there's actually, you know, I, I'm, I'm digressing, but I, we could share you links to indigenous school psychologists you could talk to. Um, um, so there's there's definitely you know an approach we can take to sort of getting into the schools. Is it the same sort of is it is is it that simple as far as you know approaching an, a, a tribe or an indigenous community to sort of collaborate? What does that look like for someone on the outside? Because that's something for me that's always been a bit intimidating, more so in, in that I'm, I'm you know I guess I'm just afraid to be you know, make things worse, um, but by by sort of doing things the wrong way. Um, and, you know, I think that's often why folks don't try things at all, uh, because out, out of fear. And, and, and uh, so so what 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 can that approach look like for a non indigenous practitioner? Yeah, I think it rests on a lot of reflective work of why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? What's your, you know, what's your goal? Because um, there is, I don't know if anyone that you've talked to yet has brought in kind of this savior mentality, you know, yes. we're going to save people. And, you know, if that's your, you know, it's like you have to go back to your own. And, you know your own self like why are you doing this and yeah. realize the context in which you're helping you know our community our kids even our kids mm. that are in school are really attuned to wonder how long is this teacher or whoever this person is how long are they going to be around mm. Mm. lots of turnover in our mm. systems of care particularly schools and so why should they form a relationship with you yeah 
if you're not going to be there. And, you know, Hmm. it, it goes back to building trust, you know, for, you know, it's like we're doing it on so many levels. We're doing it individually, but then we're doing it systemically. School community as a whole, you know, it's like, mm. and then that that goes into each individual encounter we have. It's like, how are we developing relationships in this context? You know, so so it really is a reflective process of, you know, why why are you why are you doing this? Um, what what do others benefit? not just yourself, you know, beneficial feelings from it, but what do are others benefiting? How, you know, really thinking more critically about it. Can you tell me a little bit more about, I I, I have heard of it, but can you tell me a little bit more about the savior mentality? Like, and what what the hell sort of shows up? Yeah. It's sort of like, I'm here to save people. I'm here to save them. I, I'm going to be the best answer for this community. Hmm. I, I'm going to show up and I'm just going to help, help these people, you know? Yeah. And there's some assumptions within that, unspoken assumptions in that which these people need saving. They can't save themselves. Hmm. They need me. You know, there there's some unspoken things with mm-hmm. with you know thinking about it. So that's kind of why I talk about you know people really. I think for the most part, what what most people would recommend is really immersing one's self into the com. You become part of the community first, mm-hmm. and then you. And you, as you're doing that, you figure out your role in helping a little bit more. And as you get to be a trusted member of the community, you're able to help even more. So, yeah. So I think what I'm wondering then is because I, I I hear you, and I think for me personally, um, you know, I've been I've been wanting to do just that. I've been wanting to connect with our local. First Nations uh, tribe, I think, community here. For some reason, north of the border, they don't use the word tribe as much. Uh, but uh, <laughs> in any case, um, uh, I, I've been wanting to connect with the community here. I've done it a little bit um, through through my role in the fire department, um, and I have connected with the local, the, the you know, the Tlaman, uh fire department and some of the folks there and brought a couple of their guys over to do some training with the department learning about sort of the you know how because we live on an island that's sort of off the coast of the of the first nation and and uh, there there is there had been a, lo- a lot of history here that you know there are a lot of misinformation around indigenous peoples on this on this land like there's a, a ridiculous story that indigenous folks avoided the island because they believed it was a sea monster um you know the, the, talk, talk about you know uh, uh not not expecting much from people um um uh, when in fact there's there was archaeological evidence of like thousands and thousands of years of, of presence here and some really neat sites and stuff that i've been learning about but 
I've been trying, you know, and maybe maybe this is just my own social anxiety, but I've been trying to sort of figure out, you know, what's the best approach for me to just start building relationships with this community? Like, where do I start? And, and what does that look like? And I think this is probably something a lot of people wonder about. Um, you know, we we hear a lot about you know, the, 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 the importance. And I know, I do know, I do know how to contact this community. I know there's an, uh, an executive council of elders. Um, I know their email. <laughs> um, uh, I, I know that I know the secretary for them and how to get a hold of her. Um, um, you know, but beyond that, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't even really know where to start. Like, I, I don't think I've ever really tried to build a relationship with a community in my entire life of any kind, you know, maybe if I, you know, I wasn't much of a churchgoer. So that might've been the closest example that I might've had in my life of sort of being exposed to a community and trying to build a relationship with it. So how do I do that? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of that, what we what we try to recommend for people is to definitely get to know, not just rely upon one person mm -hmm. or just a couple of people in the community, yeah. but again, with immerse, immersion, it's really getting to know a lot of different people in the as many as possible, and mm. and I and that goes hopefully by then you've done your reflective work about why why you want to yeah. do. So that when you're there, you can vocalize it. Why? Mm. What are you there? What are you there to do? Mm. And why? And you know, what is what's your purpose? I guess right. So that you can communicate that genuinely, um, and it's mm. always great to talk to uh, counsel and talk to them. They so that they know what you're doing. Yeah. That they could recommend. These are the people that you should work with. They'll mm. probably, you know, that the elders council as well probably um, say say some of the same things and mm. give you some more, you know, community guidance about who you should be working with mm. the most. You know, from from a community perspective, a little bit more information, but yeah. It's, it's a learning process it's yeah finding out from people more about the community and really continuing to reflect on what's my role here yeah and how how do others how do the community see my role um it's a hopefully we're getting continued feedback throughout the process right is this um how can my role morph over time yeah and it might yeah. uh, you know it's you, 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 you've done a great job of uh of simplifying it here for me i think i i think i think a lot of it is 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 also just having a bit of courage <laughs> um, you know because i mean I, I, the self-reflection point is, is 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 so turd and, and i get that because i could really see how and i mean i could see how even i when i first sort of thought about doing this kind of work a few years ago 
I think I was coming at it from that kind of savior mentality, you know, how can, how can I be the hero for these people? You know, how can I get, you know, honorary citizenship in the community or whatever that looks like, if that exists, you know, I'm making things up in my head. Um, uh, and over time, you know, I've realized, you know, that, that I've, 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 you know, I've, I've learned that it's just, I've learned, I've learned, I've learned what I, what, what I'm looking to get from this. And it really, I'm just looking to connect and really, I'm just yeah. looking to meet people and, and learn more about the community and, um, and see what I can do to sort of help. Because I, I do think, like I said, on, on where I live on, on this Island, um, there has been sort of, uh, uh, an avoidance of indigenous learning and history. And I'd like to be able to change that here a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, and help folks learn about the history of the island. Our museum, for example, has very little in terms of Indigenous history in it, very little, um, almost none, I think. Um, and uh, and so it sounds like if I'm coming at this from a values-based, genuine perspective, and I'm being honest, and I just say, this is what I'm looking to do, yeah. what do I do next? Yeah. That might be the yeah. way to go. Yeah, maybe it's not even, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to be doing, but mm. this is my skill set. And maybe I could hear more, attend some meetings and learn more about what you all are working on. And maybe mm. I can seek to support things that are already happening or, yeah, and support huh. what's, what's support what your goals are, or what you've all been working on. Thanks, Dr. Megan. Um, Sometimes things are simpler when you when you talk it through, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Let's kind of go back to your work a little bit. I'm not going to kind of dive too much into the papers themselves. Um, I will share a link to the to the other podcast that you did that really digs into you know, the 2019 article on expanding the ACEs. And then the article itself on the ACEs is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, it, you've got if folks are familiar with the ACEs, they'll know that there are these sort of, um, 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 what do they call them? Uh, with a, There's this ACEs pyramid um, and, and, and that there are these sort of you know, sort of sections and they're all, like you said, they're all kind of deficit based. So, you know, one, for example, is like um, uh, disease burden and social problems. <laughs> you can't get much more deficit based than that, than that one. And, and, and looking at that one, maybe just looking at maybe that one item, you know, the article gives sort of, you know, essentially kind of positive um, 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 attributes we could be looking at instead or, or, or talking about instead, like, like just you know, meaningful life longevity. So it's not just about sort of, you know, giving someone the, the you know, the uh, the you know, the cancer treatments or the whatever treatments so that they'll live 30 years longer but how can we you know ensure that it's a long meaningful community connected steep in tradition uh steeped in tradition and so on on life um i mean i love it it's and it, 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 I'm, I'm just gonna point people to the article and we I, it's a podcast so it's really hard to have a visual of a pyramid on a podcast i think it's really important people take a look at it um, it's really, really neat work, and I think really needed. Um, can you tell me maybe? I just I said I, I just said I wouldn't talk about the article, but I have a couple of questions, not sort of about the general idea about sort of 
because it seems like a relatively new article. It just came out this year. So is this the sort of the first time someone has looked at the ACEs in this way and 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 reframed it in kind of this positive sort of healing way? I think so. I haven't come across, well, I would say in this way and the visually depicted yeah. it this way, but I feel like there's been a lot of conversations where people have started to talk about this in similar ways. Mm-hmm. It does it does help people. I think, you know, people learn about the adverse childhood experiences studies and the replications thereof. Yeah. And they want to know now what? You know, I'm I'm informed. Yes. I have a little bit of knowledge. I recognize the links. There's correlation here. Strong, you know, there's some things I should be paying attention to. Um, and so what what should we be doing about it? What can what can we be doing about it? Mm. And I felt like it really helped people have this visual in their mind of the you know the answer is so you know broad you know it's, it's we have a tendency i think in our society to want the quick fix you know it's like trauma reduce trauma symptoms as fast as possible mm-hmm. Re- mm-hmm. um instant mm-hmm. instant gratification we want yep. healing now yep. for yep. everyone <laughs> <laughs> and i think recognizing that healing is healing over time it's a process acknowledging that we do know you know we're not at a loss here when when answering what should we do about this you know we're not at a loss for answers Mm. we do you know we do know a lot where we are we're still uncovering some things but we're still we still we know healing can happen Mm -hmm. Mm. we know a lot of things that contribute to healing and so it's not like we're just now trying to to figure it out. And it, I think it val- hopefully helps validate people's efforts. You know, the efforts that are already underway mm. that I think when people work in in this field, they can feel like they're not making a difference or they're not effective or um you know, that that seems to be a common thing, especially amidst, you know, other community traumas and other things happening in the world. And, you know, it, it's, I think it's helpful for to people, to people to validate what they're doing in their roles, but then recognize that there's this whole other modes of healing that we have to mobilize in order for more widespread healing to happen. You know, Hmm. it's like, we are, we are doing good work. People are healing. It's just not to the, it's not to, you know, the greater, broader, we're not coordinated in a mobilized way to, do this on a community wide level yet, you know, mm. I think we're, we're starting to get there. Yeah. Um, starting to get there. There's a lot of things underway, but I'll say that for a lot of our communities, they're still in crisis mode, you know, 
hard to think about growing, expanding, adding another thing, increasing capacity, you know, planning, um, using creativity when you're feeling like you're just trying to deal with the day. Mm. And, and so, you know, it's recognized where the, where the community is at on the, it's like individuals and then there's community wide efforts and really thinking about all of that as we move forward in this healing is again, it's everybody working together. Hopefully we get more people to support and more real foundational things that stabilize our communities. I think, you know, as, a therapist, it's really hard to heal someone and there be an 80% unemployment rate. Mm. You know, if you're, it's really hard to see someone in counseling and they're homeless, houseless. Mm. And, you know, it's really, you know, you, think about all of these social determinants of health and mental health as a whole. And there are, there's a lot of foundational things there that lend itself to healing whole groups of people that, you know, we have limited control over in our, in our little, we're providing counseling, right. But there's this whole other, other context in all the social conditions that exist that um, can help facilitate healing or diminish it. And so really, so it's really trying to think about how, Hmm. how that's connected because ultimately it does help our efforts on so many levels on not just be, you know, behavior, mental health, you know, behavioral health, it affects so many other kinds of, healing and yeah educational attainment and you know other kinds of you know owning a business in one's own town and you yeah. know you know what do we think about thriving communities safe communities if we're thinking about community violence it's like how do we have more safe places in our community it really is thinking much more broadly and I think when you know that can have a twofold effect some people can be like oh that's like oh that's too that's like a lot to think about yeah <laughs> it's like well that, that'd be a lot to start working on um and not feeling ready for it and on the other hand people can think about relieved by it. it's like well, yes I'm I cannot do this alone mm, exactly you're not meant to do this alone all by yourself mm-hmm. in your role, right? You really can't be a savior, even if you wanted to be. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah. Wouldn't that be great if we could have one? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it doesn't work it, that way. <laughs> it sounds a lot like, you know, kind of like a like wraparound approach and sort of those sorts of things where, you know, you really need sort of the village. And I think the difference here is that you you have a village <laughs> you know you know like, like that this there's there's that community inclusion there's that collective just mindset you talked about that 
I hear about in so many different cultures, black folks, Latino folks, others, um, you know, the, 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 the collectiveness is piece is just, you know, something for some reason, we, we white folks just threw in the trash early on in the day and, and, and went capitalist all the way. Um, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, 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 we don't need to do it by ourselves. The, I just a question about you mentioned about you know before you kind of delved into this about the, about the aces was that sort of you know the aces you know give us that framework and 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 you know we essentially with the aces you can get like a, a aces score out of ten something like that you know based on these different things and you can get a more detailed aces score with some more in depth assessments. Um, is that what? Trauma informed means does that just mean that I now know what the traumas are, or at least what the ACEs scores are? I might not know the specific traumas, and does that make me trauma informed? Because it's been a bit of a uh, you can hear me soapboxing a tiny bit in my voice, maybe, but it's been a bit of a uh, an irk for me that I've that we hear trauma trauma informed has become sort of a phrase we've heard across health fields now like it seems like every sort of practitioner is now suddenly trauma-informed um when when five years ago they weren't when because it wasn't a buzzword um i work in the uh, a lot in the autistic space and so we also have a similar term called neurodiversity affirming practice which again you know uh, and i've said this a few times on episodes it, it's interesting that you know Three years ago, no autism service provider used that phrase, and now they all do. Um, um, and so, uh, you know, are they all really neurodiversity affirming? Are they all really trauma informed? So, I guess the question is, what does trauma informed mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question. Hmm. I love it. Yeah, I think it's, you know, Certainly learning about trauma will increase your knowledge about trauma and its impacts and effects and, you know, what's out there. There's a lot of information now since yep. the wave has hit and everyone's, right. it's the buzzword everybody's talking about. But, you know, truly taking on this lens is a way of being in the world mm. that goes beyond a work role. It's a way of seeing people and environments and taking into account deeply, you know, how how we're seeing things and how we're responding to it. Hmm. You know, in a different way than maybe we would have if we hadn't considered their not just their trauma but their um positionality and abilities as you say you know there's been a broadening of what trauma-informed care is you're probably you kind of alluded to this of people saying you know Gender affirming care is trauma informed care, you know. Mm. Neurodiversity yep. affirming care is trauma informed yes. care. And, you know, and because you'll hear people say that, 
oh, we're, we've done a lot of work to be trauma-informed. We've done a lot of this training. We've implemented some practices, but we haven't really done anything around historical trauma. We really haven't done anything around yeah. um, gender-affirming care. And we really haven't done anything to address race-based trauma. Hmm. And, you know, it's like, well, how did you move forward trauma informed care <laughs> you know because they're it's one and the same right it's, it's, it's but yeah. it's it's layering on to this existing knowledge we have take a look at you know really understanding people's experiences and how we respond to to people um in this understanding and I think that's why it's become foundational is like they say trauma-informed care is good for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, the approach is it's a way of being in the world. It's a way of looking at things that is helpful for anything. You know, people say, you know, once you have the lens, the trauma lens, you can't take it off, right? Mm. It's, it's there. It's it, you can look at, you know, coworkers, you could look at community members, you could look at just about any setting and um, take this lens into account as you're moving through the world. Hmm. And I think what people have a hard time sometimes reconciling is, you know, that definition of trauma. Oh, trauma people say trauma-informed care is just walking around being empathetic for people all the time you know mm. and not realizing that you know it is about understanding where people are coming from but it all it does also involve accountability you know we can't just let people continue to hurt themselves or hurt other people with just being empathetic the whole time and not you know, there is some accountability that people have to have for their act. We can't continue. We have to interrupt this, mm. these things, you know. And so I feel like some people are kind of feeling like they're not fully on board with, you know, taking on this well-being because it means that it it means fundamentally they'd have to, you know, people wouldn't be punished or people wouldn't, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> wouldn't yeah. have to deal with the consequences of their actions. And, you know, so just some, maybe just some different understandings about what it, what it really is. Or, or we've heard people say, you know, Oh, we've tried that. doesn't work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Classic. Yeah. There's a term you used earlier there that I've heard referenced a lot lately, and and, I've, and, and and every time someone says it, I forget to ask what it means. What do you mean by positionality? Yeah, yeah. I think it's really thinking about uh, power, power and privilege that mm. you know we have. What you know, looking at people's different identities and both not just their visible identities, they could have some hidden identities that we don't know about sure. um, that either are 
you know, targets of oppression based on how they identify um, and really being aware of their experiences and how, how they move in the world and taking that into account of how that might influence how we are interacting with each other and, you know, reflecting on our own, on our own positionality of um, our own identities, our own, mm. and have that interplay between both, um, both of as helper and those being helped. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, and often I've been sort of reflecting on that more recently and questioning, you know, the authenticity of some of the relationships I'm in uh, because I'm in a lot of, I, I have power in so many different contexts in my life. Um, you know, I mentioned I'm the assistant chief at our fire department, you know, I have an upper level supervisory role in my company. Um, I'm a white man, um, you know, in any context. Um, and, uh, you know, and I often wonder if, you know, you know, I, 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 I mean, I, I know I have relationships with these folks, but I often question whether it's, it, you know, how much of it is, is, you know, based on the fact that I have this power and they're just sort of, you know, deferring to it or, you know, are, are they honestly, you know, sort of interacting with me? I try not to think about it too much because I know it could drive me nuts, but, um, but, but, it, but it, it is something that I, that, that I think when you reflect on, it can really make you think a lot about the interactions you have with people. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Even being part of, you know, even having an indigenous identity, even going into other indigenous communities, mm. I really have to see that I'm still seen as an outsider. I still, I'm, right. I'm a part of a university that has had some negative instances. You know, community members may have had instances, you know, related to universities in general or, sure. you know, even this one in particular. And, you know, I, I was, um, I had an instance where, I was in a community and I was presenting and I had some data from this that was publicly online, but I was thought, you know, I'm going to, you know, showcase this. Yeah. Um, Cause it's seems like widely available already. Mm -hmm. And when I was presenting this slide, I had a, a uh, community member stand up and she was very angry and was, did you go through, a, how did you get this information? Right. It's like, you know, almost like, how come I don't have that, you know, mm. have access? Where's, how'd you get this? You know, um, even, you know, and I had to kind of explain a little bit, but I, before I explained, I was first because I have this lens that I'm looking through that I have this. Yeah. It's a way of being in the world. They say, you know, where, how, where's this coming from? Why is this happening right now? Mm. 
And after I asked myself this, it was the answer is she's trying to protect her community. It's not about me, right? It's, right. You know, I'm there. And once I identified it, I was able to say, I'm so glad you are here asking this question, you know, mm. for the community. I wish that there was somebody like you and all, all of our communities to critically question where, who's it, you know, where are you getting this information? And, yeah. you know, you serve this purpose of an important role in this community. Um, mm. And so it allowed us to kind of come together. Yeah. You know, but if I were defensive, like, oh my God, you know, right. If I were um, defensive in some way, or if I was like, you know, saw it as she was personally attacking me, then mm. we may not have had a good relationship. But because, you know, I was able to respond, not to react, I was able to, you know, have a good, good relationship with us. You know, we were able to have a good, relationship and um you know i was able to assure her and you know kind of de-escalated this so many things happened because you know yes. you, you have this stance about yourself that yep. you just see things in this way and it helps to inform your interactions that you have with people mm. it's it's it is good to think about um you know, that you know how how this can influence our work, this stance as you mm. talked about. But you know, it it is thinking about our power in place, and you know, who am I in connection to the community and um, my age? You know, who am I? <laughs> Mm. Who's this person coming in? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's it is a lot to reflect on of who you are and why you're coming and um knowing yourself and knowing the community. Yeah. Cool. Uh kind of shifting gears a bit. I wonder if you could just dive into the the this the National Native Children Trauma Center. Like what is that place and what, what happens there? And and uh and, and tell us just a little bit about the website because the the website is just I, I opened it up the other day and it's just it's a ridiculously awesome resource. There is so much cool stuff on there. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about about the center and and the services you offer and the work you do there. Yeah. Our center is entirely grant funded. So our Work kind of really depends on what we're working on at any given time, uh, but we provide as much free training and technical assistance as we can provide to communities uh, by request. You know, we get a lot of requests from all over, um, and so we try to respond to those as much as possible. These mm. sometimes they're one-time training requests, uh, other times. There, there'll be different training requests from the same entity over longer periods of time. And yeah. others are more longer term relationships where we get to have conversations about how do we want to work towards building a trauma informed community, you know, more longer term work that happens. Um, 
So it really varies, you know, in, mm. in who we're working with and what they need from us. Right. And mm-hmm. we don't really ascribe to a specific, um, you know, we don't have a blueprint. We're like, this is how you become trauma informed. Right. Cause mm-hmm. it's, it goes back to this collaborative process we've been talking about. It's like, how do we build this together? You know, we can't from the outside have this plan for you. This is how you do it. Step one, trauma, you know, trauma informed. This is what you do. Because <laughs> um, we've had instances where that, like that, where um, we've been working with an entity and then they'll make something mandated. And then employees are like, do it but then it's not really is it really still trauma informed if they're yeah. not if they're not implementing it in yeah exactly spirit of what you know this approach is and so it's been good to have a more collaborative process and um take you know have tribes tell us kind of what they might need from us and recognizing that we may not have it all they may lean on other organizations or other entities to incorporate what they want into their vision of how they want to move forward. So we just kind of, we kind of, um, you know, have a pretty flexible approach when we work with different people, different communities. Yeah, no, and that makes a lot of sense. And you also have, there's just a lot of resources on here of things I think you've done in the past for folks that, that, that all free as well. Can you just talk a little bit about those, like the kinds of things that are available for folks? Yeah. So we, we do a lot of training under the, pretty much under the umbrella of anything related to trauma. Um, And even if they're not on our website, we're always willing to, you know, if a, if a tribe contacts us and says, you know, we're, we're wondering if you can do this for us. And this is how much time we have. We can, we'll try to see if we can, if it's under, if we have anybody who can do that, we'll try to craft something for them. Yeah. We're pretty used to modifying things uh, to meet, meet people's needs. That's, you know, under our scope, scope of what we do. So I would say, you know, it's not all the trainings that we list. It's not the end all be all just because it's not on there, but yeah. you try to provide a lot of different things under that, under that umbrella. And there's a lot of technical assistance that we can provide that. I don't think that a lot of people lean toward us for mm. all the time. Um, like, you know, we can help with, um, you know, implementing or searching for different trauma assessments that are out there, or we can do an organizational assessment. Uh, We can make recommendations for, you know, look at, look at where you are. We've done focus groups with people and then made Mm -hmm. recommendations on, you know, this is where we see um, some, some things that you've already been doing. And here's some things that you could potentially work on. you know, focus, it's kind of focusing on different aspects, secondary trauma, you know, we could do, you know, self-care plans with staff. I mean, the, the um, technical assistance, you know, has a broad range to 
you know, it's not just training. I I think people tend to lean on training a lot. Mm. You know, I think about that when something happens and a traumatic event happens in the community, they're like, we need training. Yep. Um, But it's so much more about what do we do now that we have the training? Yes. What do we, what, what are we going to do? And training can sometimes be the, vehicle towards that but it doesn't always have to include training for you know things to be done differently no that makes a lot of sense i mean that's something we've been talking about recently is just in in just even in our own company there it always seems to be like when folks don't know what to do i think just just exactly what you're saying they assume they need training um and training is usually the most expensive time intensive option out there um, you know, it takes a lot. And we know that training is useless unless you have some sort of application associated with it, some hands-on practice that you can get some feedback on and, and see if you're doing that work right. Because, I mean, the, I think the retention of information through training is, you know, usually the, if it's a good training, then they're really excited the next day. <laughs> and then, but the day after, they might start to forget about it. Uh, because it's not actually putting anything into place, and it may just be other other technical pieces that could be added. Um, and you know, those there's a wide range of those um, that might be sort of less intensive, but but um, but still, you know, provide what you need. Maybe it's just some modeling. Maybe it's just um, you know, um, you know, um, a resource here or a connection here or or whatever. So yeah, that that, that I, I I hear that loud and clear, and that's why it's training and technical assistance. I assume. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so did 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 you start the center, or you have you just been there since 2015, and it's been around for a long time? Yeah, it's been a lot around longer than I have been. I mm. have I was a staff member at the center oh. for that um for a little while Mm. and so yes it's been around it's been we started out as a center that was implementing something called cognitive behavioral intervention for trauma in schools yes it's a long long (laughs) acronym but we were Mm. implementing that specific group intervention with middle school students Mm. in american indian communities in Montana. And ever since then, we've slowly, we've been expanding now. And now we've worked with a lot of different programs, organizations, basically any organization that touches the life of a native, of a, you know, native child. It's um, not Mm. just schools, but healthcare and child welfare and juvenile justice and, you know, really working with a lot of different entities. So awesome. So much good stuff happening there. Really amazing organization. Well, just before we kind of close off here, I wanted to kind of circle back to something we were talking about before we hit record, something that's kind of happening uh, right now. And it's, it's, I think it will be of top of mind for folks, uh, certainly this year and and, and uh, probably for many years to come, uh, thanks, thanks in part to, um, uh, uh, again, colonization, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, we're talking about forest fires here and, uh, and how, you know, certainly 
uh, indigenous stewardship and and care of the land um, and, and 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 practices and whatnot probably could have prevented a lot of a lot of these these uh, wildfire disasters, but they're they're happening, and so something we've got to deal with. So I'm 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 uh, you're in Montana, not too far away from some of the issues. I'm in British Columbia, which is you know central to a lot of the burning that's happening, kind of in the northern half here of Turtle Island, and um, uh, we're seeing I mean we're seeing unprecedented uh, damage uh, to homes and lands and. Um, and, um, traditional lands and 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 you know just full communities being wiped out and um, similar story you know certainly that just happened in Hawaii um, and, and 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 again on traditional lands and they're sort of the homeland of the of the of, of the royal family before the U.S. came and occupied things um, down there um, and uh, I. I I just wanted to talk a little bit about, um, um, you know, I think we we hear a lot about trauma informed care in Indigenous communities and about how you know, just continuing to move through the foster care system and um, you know, like the point you made about sort of you know service providers coming and going so quickly, lots of turnover. I think these also these def events are definitely a lot closer to home. I think for First Nations people and and can definitely trigger memories of of being in the system, being in the residential schools, being in foster care, and so on and so forth. So forth, um, and and certainly there are, are are things we can kind of do to address that. Uh, but I got this handout from um, a group called the First Nations Health Authority in British Columbia, which is um, essentially a, a, a provincial, um, um, uh, you know, um, health association that 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 helps Indigenous communities. Um, and they put out this um, uh, this this handout on uh, related to the fires that are happening right now, called "Recognizing and Addressing Trauma and Anxiety During a Disaster." So I thought this might just be something interesting to touch on a little bit in terms of how how being essentially you know being you know how how these sort of forced evacuations these. Um, uh, the uh, I think they're calling them tactical evacuations of these of these homes, where folks are just immediately being removed or told to be removed from their their homes. Um, how that can trigger trauma? How we can kind of recognize that things are maybe different are going on, and then and then kind of kind of things we can kind of do about it. Yeah, yeah, that brings up a lot of different elements of the effects of these types of events on indigenous communities there's mm. a lot in there as you were just talking about like yeah. it's removal um in the context of as you said maybe even you know prior history with removals there's uh maybe some traditional sacred places that are being damaged on top of this yes um, and separation from other community members is a, a breakup of the community, in essence, that has cultural implications um, for, you know, 
for coping with this event, you know, through the separation and even fears about, um, you know, particularly in, in Maui through, you know, Native Hawaiians are actively um, trying to thwart land grabbers who are trying to buy up property in yes. the midst of the ashes and yes. what, it, what it means for, you know, land, you know, land loss yes. into the future. And so there's real concerns there with, you know, how, you know, you're, you're in this state, but also having to play an activist role to protect your community. Yeah. You know, it's, all of these things all all at once and so there is a lot of impacts as you say you know mm. for indigenous communities to deal with it's it's cumulative right it's cumulative to the existing difficulties that communities have faced and brings mm-hmm. a lot a lot of um feelings emotions you know affects communities in a lot of different ways all all of those elements so it becomes challenging to have to rely on external parties to help support efforts and then as we talked about earlier this mistrust mm-hmm. that exists so it's mm-hmm. um you know all of this all fresh into you know trying to heal yeah yeah i mean it's 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 a lot uh no it is a lot and i i've heard people talk about even like with the pandemic people were you know on the one hand Mm. you know people have said you know it's unfortunate that there's so much that happens such as events like this and Mm. that can erode um you know communities you know health Mm. and at the same time communities have learned to deal with instances like this so so much so that they know you know this continual trauma has become knowledge mm. because they've been through these kinds of things before. Mm. And we and we know, you know, this isn't the first this is not the first time, you know, we we know um in there's some inherent knowledge there of, you know, we, you know, some inherent healing and some inherent um knowledge that you know we know that they'll heal from this you know over time it's you know there's some strength in in that i suppose you Mm. know some some learnings over time that you know again not deficit based right it's like yes you know on the one hand it's horrible that these things continue to happen can you still have to continue to deal with all these things and on the other hand you know, they become really great at dealing with all these things, mm. continuing to, you know, seems to continue to happen. And yet we're still here. 
still still here still yeah you know there's evidence of healing in so many different ways and we're we're getting better and better at it as time goes on and mm. um so you again how how are we looking at this <laughs> yeah 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 really really cool so just kind of wrap it up what's uh any kind of what, what kind of things are you working on now what are the, some of the projects that are we're going to see some exciting things coming from you oh yeah I, i'm well one thing that our university is launching is a trauma study certificate program Ooh. uh trying to get people to learn about trauma and have this lens and operate this way before going out into the workforce instead, yes. of, you know, after the fact, after they're already out there in the world and yeah. a, a lot of um, more that we can do that earlier, you know, the more that people will be able to have this stance as they work with different populations and different people. Is that something that's starting like this year or? Yeah, our university just piloting that this fall, starting next week. It will be the wow. first, first class. <laughs> so we're, yeah, there's um, not a whole lot of certificate programs or yeah. specific programs. And it helps um, kind of ensure that people are getting this getting this earlier and the more that we can do that the better so it's good to be offering it there's not any anyone in our area that has this so yeah. I'm curious if that'll be the case or if that's already starting to be the case we're up where you live and the third secret word is nation around that area and in the world yeah and- yeah i don't know i mean uh um I, I don't know a lot about kind of the work that's been happening. I, I do have my first uh, inter- indigenous uh, sort of uh, researcher interview with someone in, in my neck of the woods happening soon. So maybe she can fill me in on kind of what's happening. She works at, uh, at the University of Northern British Columbia doing some of this kind of work and more in kind of disability in indigenous communities, but um, uh, definitely would have a trauma connection so i shall i'll have to ask her about that but i haven't heard about anything um um i mean i haven't i i hadn't heard about anything in in sort of anywhere in, across these two countries until i heard it about your center so um you're probably a little more in the loop than i am <laughs> uh but it, it's just some some amazing stuff that you're doing and um and the center's doing and uh uh Really cool. I I got I, I really love this conversation. I, I love chatting with you today. This was so fun for me. I I really appreciate you coming on and and uh, and 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 we, we sharing talked about a lot well. of different things. We really did, and it was really cool. And I, I think we could have split off on any one of them for a full episode. So um, I think you did a great job of of covering a bunch of different areas. And uh, yeah, it'd be cool maybe to have you back sometime. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. And thanks again.